0: Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to today's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. We've got a really exciting sales leader joining us from HubSpot, surprise, I love so many of the folks internally that I get to work with. And as I'm continually exposed to amazing leaders that I think can add a ton of value for the community, I have to ask him on the show. So today we've got Kelly Brooks, who is a director of our, our, small business sales segment. One of our larger segments, probably the most sellers, uh, within HubSpot. And she has a really fascinating background. She's been at HubSpot for four years, started as a small business sales manager, actually, uh, pushed into what is now our newest subsidiary into Canada with our her sales team, and then moved into this enablement side of things where you all know that I love to nerd out on how do we help leaders really develop the skills beyond just being a great individual contributor, moving to become a manager, there's usually a big gap in what folks need to learn to be really effective there. And she really helped build out some content training for that team. And then she actually recently uh, moved back to the sales director role, looking after eight sales teams, probably like 80 different sellers on those teams Uh, eight different managers, different styles to work with. Before that, though, she actually started at Apple, uh, spent about eight years there, which I'm super curious to hear what she's learned in that culture, working in the retail environment. And she's based uh, up in the lovely Pacific Northwest and just told me uh, about a little uh, camping backpacking trip that she just got to take. Although her beautiful little golden doodle Ollie didn't get to join her on this trip. Uh, He's getting out there in the future. So Kelly, excited to have you on, excited to learn from you.
1: Thanks so much, Jordan. Excited to be
0: here. Uh, I think there's a ton of knowledge as I've talked to so many folks internally that really look up to you and respect you and have gotten a ton of value from their time with you. And so I'm curious as we start out, talk to us about the arc of your career. How'd you end up getting into sales from this like Apple retail thing? What are some of those like really impactful moments been for you throughout your, your journey through your career thus far?
1: Yeah, awesome question. I love talking about this because, you know, it doesn't take very long to look at my resume to think, huh, it's a really non-traditional career path into being a sales director, especially in SaaS. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about Apple because Apple is so dear to my heart. I really think about those eight years where I grew up there, and I owe so much to the leaders and to the peers and the culture that surrounded me. It's really, really shaped not just who I am as a leader, but where I decided to take my career. So I started Apple um, when I was in in college. I was looking to do something completely different than my major. I thought I was going to medical school. I spent all my time in the labs. Thinking about like science and um, all kinds of nerdy things, and I thought like, oh my gosh, I need if I need to spend money and I need you know an extra um, avenue of income, I want to go do something completely different where I get to talk to people. I was kind of a tech nerd. I had a friend who worked at Apple who referred me. I threw my hat in the ring and I just thought it was so fun. It was such this like social super part time experiment. What happens when you work at Apple though is that you, you know, the the cliche is that you drink the Kool-Aid and it is such a special culture. And especially at that time, like it was like the people that worked at Apple were like, fanboys and so you just got like pulled into this like magnetic um, sense and what happened was i found myself starting to get more energy from going to work than going to class or even like the other sort of extracurricular things that i was involved in and i started to become really really interested in the leadership dynamics that were happening there really big store, really um, high pace, really high revenue. And I was just started asking my leaders questions like what's happening here? How are you thinking about this? And I'll tell you Jordan, I remember still to this day exactly where I was standing when one of my managers approached me and said, have you thought about people leadership? And at the time, I think I laughed because no, I hadn't. And like, haven't you heard about my 10-step plan to like where my career is unfolding? But I, you know, and it wasn't immediate that I said yes, but it was something that I still, you know, like 10, like what, 12 years later, I still reflect on what a pivotal moment it was for someone to tap me and say, hey, I see something in you that you might not see in yourself yet. And to make, I'll kind of fast forward through a lot of different chapters of Apple, but I ended up um, enrolling in or being selected for the Apple Store Leader Program, which is basically a crash course on how Apple thinks about leadership. I got to lead teams in all the different functional units under the retail umbrella, and it pointed me towards um, sales and like more specifically like B2B sales within um, Apple, so I was really happy there. I was there for 8 years. I thought I was going to, you know, continue riding the the path but um, I started learning about HubSpot because HubSpot kept coaching all of my technical specialists and to build out their team. And so it was kind of this like, oh, I hate HubSpot. And but also like you have to learn about them. You have to figure out what they're doing and what is it about that culture? What is it about the company? So I knew so much about HubSpot culture before I even knew what HubSpot was as a product. Um, And I actually had been helping a friend job search at some point. I was not in any way thinking about leaving Apple. I was helping this person job search and I'd come across a job posting for the SB uh, sales manager role. And I thought, huh, here's this this gosh darn spot again. And this role sounds kind of interesting. To be honest, I don't even know if I completely understood what the role entailed, but I thought I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring and I'm gonna have a conversation. I talked to, I think I've counted like 20 different people over the course of my um, HubSpot interview process. I was one of the very, very, very few external sales manager hires ever. And I came from a pretty um, non-traditional background. But what that experience taught me was that I did have something that they were interested in, which was people leadership experience, change management experience, And I got to feel some of that, like coming back towards me, the energy and the passion all of these people had for like where HubSpot was, where HubSpot was going. And what I was most excited about was this was gonna be an opportunity to lead a team shoulder to shoulder, but also to have a seat at the table in driving where are we going? And really bringing in, like bringing those two things closer together, which an organization like Apple are very far apart, rightfully so, based off of the scale. So I jumped in. Um, you know, the cliche at HubSpot, as you know, Jordan, is like drinking out of the fire hose. Boy, it was that. And then some, you know, coming in, I'd never sold software. I was new to, too new to the industry. Um, But what I learned, and someone gave me this advice, I wish I could remember who, so I could give them credit. But someone told me very early on, like, Kelly, you just have to be an inch in front of them. That's it. Like, you just have to be an inch in front of your reps. And so I worked my absolute tail off, especially that first year of just like learning, absorbing, figuring out who's the who. And I'm really proud of the way that it came together. And, um, you know, it's been it's been quite a ride. And it's kind of crazy to think about like, oh, now I'm, you know, in the position where I would have been my boss when I came on. Because who, who even knew if I was going to make it another day at that point? Um, but yeah, really, really excited that I made the jump. And obviously, like huge thanks to all the folks who bet on me and, you know, and helped me get here.
0: And it's so cool to hear that that, never would have happened without that first person saying, hey, have you thought about people leadership? Yeah. And something that you never saw for yourself because I think there are so many opportunities there for folks to get lost in their own vision of where they're at or where they think they're going to go. And you never know where that one comment may totally send you on a completely different path that you've been able to kick complete butt in and add so much value for other people. And I wouldn't be shocked if maybe you can have that same conversation with somebody else along the Absolutely.
1: way. I think about that all of the time of like, how am I holding a mirror up for other people in a way that's been so impactful? And I'll say like, you know, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this experience, but it's still driving me and it still shows up. Like, I didn't act, I wasn't necessarily seeking the sales director role when it came up either. And that was someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Hey, have you thought about this? And it was this sort of like moment of, why haven't I? And I think it really does come down to, you know, maybe it's 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 subconscious, not an active thing, but like putting a ceiling on your own head or, you know, like confining yourself to like, this is who I am, not this is who I could be. And that's something that I learned, but in continuing to Learn. I want to be really clear about, um, but definitely try to pay forward my leadership.
0: I, I love so much of what you're saying on this thought of like, well, who could I be versus just who I am right now. Oof, that that is media, and I think a lot of us don't spend enough time thinking about that. You, you said a couple things earlier that I want to ask about. Fifteen questions. I'm going to go with one for now, though. So you came out, came in as an external people manager. You got some training at a, a massive organization like Apple that's probably done this time and time again, especially for the retail environment. That almost anybody on the planet is pretty familiar with that experience, I think, to some extent, uh, or has heard of it or seen it. And then come into HubSpot, where I think we traditionally, as an accelerating scale up company, you know, historically, I saw at least us promoting most folks into their first management position ever. What do you think most first time managers get wrong? Or maybe what are some of the learnings that you took from an organization like Apple to really help folks succeed early on in their people leadership roles?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. And there's probably a lot there. I think the thing that I've cha- seen be really challenging, and certainly I struggle with this as well as a first-time manager, is it, it's really not about you anymore. Like, okay, like you're the boss, but like your people don't work for you, you work for them and making that shift Um, I think is so important. And and that comes really naturally for some people and less naturally for the others. But I think the sooner people can get there and figure out how to make that work for them, the the faster they're able to move with their organization. And that's something that I think Apple really instilled is that like servant leadership, showing up for your people, breaking down barriers so that they can go shine, right? And so they can go do what what they do best. Um, I would say that that was probably the biggest one. And I think related to that is just like the importance of like showing up and being authentic. Um, and that was something like really stretched me, you know, when I came to HubSpot, it's like I couldn't lean on, well, back in my day, I sold HubSpot this way, right? I couldn't lean on like my, all of my personal accomplishments. Like I had to like be there learning it with them, figuring it out with them, right? Like being really vulnerable in that sometimes. And I think in the long run, like, Short run, did that frustrate me? And probably some of my reps were there like, I just wish you knew the answer. Yeah, probably. But I think in the long run, it helped us all grow better. At least I like to think so. Um, You know, so it's all part of the journey.
0: I like that. And, you know, hearing it, like, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to get in the trenches with you. I think it is such a powerful leadership quality that at the worst case, you fall back on, I don't know but I'm going to help you find out opposed to just like, go figure it out on your own. Or how can I use this as a way to delegate or just offload something that I don't want to deal with or think I'm too important to deal with onto somebody else's plate. I I love (laughs) how you think about that. I'm curious, like what, what was different for you watching and leading folks in this like face-to-face retail environment? Although maybe I heard you say B2B. So maybe you worked uh, with some of the the companies uh, as opposed to like actually in the store all the time, but like, what do you see as the differences or similarities between leading and selling in those environments?
1: Hmm, I would say it's more similar than not, right? Like the, the, the difference in the retail environment is you open up the doors, and people either come through them or they don't, right? And then it's so it's it's a very it's very reactive by nature. And you're essentially looking at this like pool, and you're figuring out like how do I extract as much revenue from the this like set pool, obviously in a way that's on brand and and meets the customer experience, et cetera. So you're a little bit more confined. Whereas with like you know in in our world in SaaS sales, it's you go out and hunt, right? And you pull those people to the table. And so even though I think a lot of our sellers would define parts of that role as reactive. Like it really is more proactive in nature and like you decide, decide the scope and you get to strategize around like, you know, extracting revenue from them. So I'm very interested in that. Like I like tinkering with like different, like slicing and dicing and like, what can we do to push a little here? What are you doing that I can do? So I'm really energized by it. So similar, but I would say that that's the difference.
0: Yeah, it's fun. I I got my start in retail uh, slinging yoga clothes with Lululemon. Uh, So I'm like, oh, yeah, as you mentioned, like, hey, just open the door and people show up versus like, oh, yeah, I can pick up the phone. I can prospect over email. I can do all these other types of engagement that sitting in a retail store are like, not up to me at that point in time.
1: But I think the part that is similar is that, okay, so great, they're there, but what what's the difference between just letting them be there and like completely passive and you saying like, oh, have you seen this top or have you seen, you know, this headband and you think about like driving up, that actually is a much more facilitated Purchase. If people are doing it well, then I think often people realize, right? And there's that's the part where you know I I got a lot of sort of like eyebrow of like, oh, aren't you basically just a cashier? And I'm like, no, it's actually like a pretty consultative sale as far as retail goes. Not you know, it's not all apples to apples, uh, but there definitely is a strategy there.
0: I feel like there's something good with this apples to apples theme. Um, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think one of the things that I didn't really reflect on or realize until much later into my sales career was at Lululemon, they called us educators. They didn't call us associates or sales reps or whatever it was. It was like, hey, you're here to help educate people and add value for them as they go through this process of maybe saying, yeah, I'm not interested in anything. You're like, oh, well, if I can actually help you think about this or learn about it in a new way. I think one helped me think a little bit about challenger sale. And two, as you look at this concept of inbound and how we've just seen HubSpot and so many companies change the way that that B2B buying process works, it's so much more about value add and helpfulness. And so I, I think there's so much, so much depth of experience that can come from that retail environment and transition over into, as I've seen a lot of folks make that move from retail into tech sales or restaurant work where it's like, yeah, I've dealt with people face to face. I've understood like body language. And so like now I can hear it over the phone and I can think about how do I help folks uh, even more? So I, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear a little bit about the mental game that you play. How do, how do you set yourself up for success? Are there routines that you bring to the table? Are there there are things that you're doing with you know your managers now? Um, talk to me a little bit about some of those things that you do for yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm really big on like setting intention. Um, and so, and I do this in so many different ways. So, I think about like my year, I think about my quarter, I think about my month, my week, my day. And that's showed up in different ways um, at different chapters of my life. Right now, it's as simple as it is, it's a lot of lists. It's like me starting the week being like, these are the things that I need to accomplish this week in order for me to pat myself on the back, you know, like lace up my hiking boots on the weekend and, and like get out of here. And I think that that's been so important for me because something I've struggled with a lot in my career is work-life balance and figuring out how to unplug and figuring out how not to just let the work like expand to, you know, the entire space. And so putting some parameters on, these are the, these are the drivers of success. And it keeps me focused on the areas that are actually moving my core objectives forward and gives me a framework also to sometimes say no when I have to, which is some is an ongoing thing I'm, I'm trying to learn. So it's setting an intention, it's writing it down. And then when you think about like the bigger goals, and this is something I talk a lot about with my leaders, I talked about with my reps, breaking them down. Um, So, you know, as simple as like, here's your monthly quota, like, what are are we closing today? What are we closing this week? And start like splitting that down into like more achievable bite sides. So it becomes sprints and then there's a moment of recovery. There's a sprint and moment of recovery. I think the more I've been able to do that in my career, that's when I feel like the most agile. That's when I feel the most energized by the work because it can sometimes be daunting when you're looking at everything at once. And you're like, ah, where do I even start? I'm always trying to like minimize that moment of hesitation.
0: The thought of this sprint and rest, I think is so powerful. I see so many of us thinking that, yes, life is a marathon. We've got to continuously be running, but I like to think about it as a bunch of mini marathons to yeah. your point, it's like, how do we sprint at something, go really hard and then pull back? I, I the, a lot of the listeners have heard me talk about Seth Godin's all 10 BA, which is this like 30 day sprint harder than I ever thought I could work on top of my day job. And then I saw, you know, single parents doing it and all this stuff that just blew my mind at what our capacity could be for that short-term sprint. But then I also see kind of the traditional learning model where it's always going, you're continuously going, and there's not a lot of pause or break or ability to get out and hike in the woods for a couple of days and just disconnect. And I just don't think our brains are wired to always try and sprint every single day. And yet, sales is a really tough role where you can go out and have your best quarter ever, whether you're an individual contributor, man, it doesn't matter. And then you show up. Monday, whatever it is, that first day of the next month or quarter. And guess what? We're back at zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think this concept, I love hearing you talk about how it's this like sprint, take a step back, saying no. I would love hearing your thoughts on that as well. And I heard you talk about your core objectives, so I've got a pulse, but talk to me about like, how do you decide what is really the yes for you and, and what is a no?
1: Yeah. So another, I'll kind of like fold this in like a a really powerful piece of career advice I got early on. I talk a lot about is like be best in your role, take care of the people around you and make what's important to your company important to you. I think about this all of the time. And so I really try to align myself on those three things. So I have my core, you know, number over my head, right. With my managers and getting them and their reps to their target. Like That's number one. Is it driving revenue for them? Am I taking care of my peers? And when I say my team, I mean like my managers and like my org, but I also mean my director peers. I mean my North America peers. I mean my global peers. So is there something that's helping make one of their lives easier? And then the third one, which is so important, and I wish we talked more about it earlier in people's careers, is Is this part of one of HubSpot's core objectives? Is this something like, you know, we talk about this a lot, Jordan, as you know, of like, here are our key plays, here's the focus that, that we're making, the big bets that we're making around like the three year, five year horizon. Is this aligned with one of those? And if it's not checking one of those boxes, which a surprising amount of stuff isn't, right? It's not that it's directly opposing, it's just that it's not directly driving. It falls to the bottom of my priority list. Do I do it sometimes? Yeah. So like, does it make me happy or is it fun for me? Sure, I'll fold it in, but it's it's at the bottom. And, and it used to be that I'd take all those things on in nights and weekends, I would find the time. And now I'm much more deliberate around making a conscious decision to say yes versus making that the, the default.
0: I like the conscious decision to say yes as well. I think you tap back to that intention. If you know what it is that you're trying to do, it's much easier to make those decisions. And, and you talked a little bit about goal setting. And we know that there's you know corporate number that, that's going to get set. How do you think about setting goals? I heard you break it down a little bit, but do you have a process or something that you do for yourself typically, whether it's professionally, personally, a mix of both? How, how do you handle goal setting?
1: Uh, good question. I don't know if I have a, I, a big process. I, I definitely do pretty frequent reflection around what would success look like for me in this chapter? And you know what would that mean? So I have a list of personal goals that I'm trying to accomplish right now. And it's a mix of, when I say personal, I mean like driven by me. So it's a mix of where I wanna be in my career, what I wanna achieve from a sales environment. And then it's also like, different like climbs that I want to do or a class that I want to take or like a certain like PR in like running that I want to hit so like I try to have both because I think that that's um, healthy. Um, and then in terms of like kind of thinking about the more professional environment, I'm, I, I talked about servant leadership. I'm largely driven by my team's success, right? Like literally I'm paid by their success, but I'm also motivated by their success. And so I spent a lot of time talking to my managers around like, okay, I know what your quota is, but what's your goal? How are you measuring success? Like I talk about like, when are we, when are we doing a toast? And like, is that like, when do we pop the bubbly? Right. And oftentimes that's a barometer of like their overall team success. So it's not just our attainment, but how many reps hit hundred percent. I look at the same way my managers, how many of my managers exceeded their plan? How many of my managers are on track for president's club or for their annual accelerator bonus, that kind of thing. Those things inform my goals, um, because I can then take it as a sum to say like, okay, if I like, if, if, if I do this, then that should set us up for all these other things that I know are important to the people. So it, it, it's definitely closely connected.
0: That's great goal alignment. I think that makes sense, especially leading with the servant leadership mindset of like, great, if I can help them get where they need to go, that ideally all, all rolls up to, to me feeling successful and like I, I'm doing uh, the job that I want to or need to be doing for myself.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking about other people's numbers and other people's attainment and our, our incentives are aligned right like if my team's winning then i'm winning but i've always felt like that's the avenue as to like how can i help you get there and then as a as a product of that i'll win whereas i think where sometimes sales leaders can go wrong is when they lead with their number and forget that it is a product of other people's and so i really do try to kind of like reverse engineer in that sense
0: that's great i, I uh again, testament to to why things uh, are are cranking away with you, why why your team, I keep seeing seeing folks doing fantastic there and then having fantastic accolades for you as well, helping them along the way. So something that I've been curious to ask you about is you spent a little while in this role and and you can define it better than I can, but essentially my understanding is trying to help our managers upskill and be more prepared for their role or be more effective in their role. And I, I think this is an area a lot of tech companies especially struggle with as so much of the, that environment starts as you know, smaller startup grows, and it's just inherent that they're gonna promote the people that have been there into those next roles. And they don't have a lot of management experience. They don't have a lot of outside perspective outside of the company as well, which is why I love the diversity of you bringing in a like, yeah, I spent time at Apple, this totally different environment. I think there's diversity of thought in that that's really helpful. What did you you want to be those key drivers that you taught to the leaders? or, Or what did you see were maybe the gaps that a lot of folks missed? moving into that management role? And where did you see opportunity to help train and develop?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that role, it evolved a lot in the couple of years that I was in it. It's continuing to evolve because I, as you say, like I think people are starting to recognize the need and maybe can't quite put their finger on it. So like there's something there that we need to invest in. So we're largely still figuring it out. But the thesis is that if we invest in our leaders, then they invest in their people, right? Like the better your frontline leaders are, the, the better your sellers are. Um, and so I did a lot of things around like team lead and leadership bench building, manager onboarding, manager coaching. Um, we did a lot of like taking change management and, and like figuring out how to make it accessible and get our leaders like, you know, just again, back to like one inch in front of their team. Um, so packaging them so they can truly lead from the front. The things that I um what did I wanna work on? Like what I ended up spending a lot of time on and I found isn't a frequent gap or at least like not quite as intuitive for leaders is like usually by the time you get promoted from individual contributor to manager, like you have a process, you figured it out. You probably don't need your manager, you know, like over your shoulder saying like, Hey Jordan, make sure you update your pipeline or Hey Jordan, make sure you do this, right? Like you've kind of, you've figured out your process. You're probably running a little bit more autonomous. And what I see a lot is new leaders step in and they forget that not everyone has those habits. And it's not its not always a will thing. Often it's a skill thing. We, we need to teach them. Their role as a leader is to teach those habits. Um, and in doing that, they often need to give more direction than they need to be. They're usually not as clear as they think they are. They need to do a lot more repetition. Like that's the part that really, I think, you know, surprises a lot of leaders of like, unfortunately for most people, you can't just say it once. Like you have to say it again and again and again, and you have to find ways to inspect and to reinforce and to get people to actually like try it and hands-on and fail and coach and feedback. And that can be a slower process than sometimes people want. Again, coming from a perspective of like, you know, I had it figured out, why don't they? When managers make that switch and they figure out how to like break down their process, make it accessible for other people and like truly flex those like situational leadership skills, that's when the magic starts to happen. Um, but it unfortunately, doesn't always happen on the first swing.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense and actually ties really nicely into, so let's say you fail. Let's say you struggle and maybe you're a new manager and you've First quarter, you know, you hit a quarter, you've done well, but the next quarter, like really not what you wanted it to be. How do you coach managers to bounce back from those tough times? What do you find is helpful for you or, or for others that you've worked with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's having an objective analysis on what went wrong or, and also which part of it went right because like I I have yet to see a manager completely fail right on every single element like generally like there's a couple things that they're doing well that we should retain and we should build on and there's things that we should you know continue to to develop or maybe course correct and so I think having that objective analysis it's like let's say let's like own what you know we can control and what we can and should do differently but let's also make sure that we're reflecting on what we are bringing to the table that's the first part And I think with that, and like, I have definitely worked through this, I continue to work through this. I I see this with so many leaders, especially women, is that like, noting that like, who you are is more than what you do, or more than what your number is, right on the reporting. And so I've had moments where in my own, like, And it could be a small Jordan is like, I feel like I said a dumb thing in a meeting that literally probably no one else like even noticed. But like, of course, I'm going to think about for five years. And then like I log off of the Zoom and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm the worst at my job and I'm probably going to get fired tomorrow. I'm like, whoa, like, let me just like pull out of that moment to like talk about objectively what just happened and like ground myself. In what I know is fact and reality. And and it goes back to that, like taking the bigger goal and breaking it down. So like, okay, I had a bummer quarter. I could look at that as like a big hairy goal. How do I break that down to say, okay, well, what would a better quarter look like moving forward? And where, how does that translate into what I'm going to do today? Like, what is the behavior I'm going to do today to make that outcome? Um, so it's all the same stuff, but just kind of like reframing, breaking down, and then committing to it, like jumping in, you can't hesitate, right? You have to say like, if there is something that you, you have to change, like, sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. But you have to say like, okay, is this still aligned with my goal? Is this still aligned with my values? If yes, hold your breath and jump, or you know, and, and that's where hopefully like you have a support network around you to support, uh, to cheer you on.
0: Yeah, I love some of the thoughts. Having a support network behind you is, is huge. And being able to realize that, yeah, maybe that thing you said in the meeting or whatever it was, I was talking to a client earlier, and more often than not, we put all these stories in our head about what other people are thinking about us or what they're saying. And you come to realize, like, they weren't even ever thinking about you in the first place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of power in this. Like, one, it's OK. Screwed up and like two, how do we break this down? I I really like this thought of like how do we now look at what does success now look like today? Because it's really easy to get lost in this like deep, deep, deep analysis that goes on for so long. That's my one of my challenges of many, is you know, spending so much time digging into the numbers, peeling back the onion, and realizing like, what is the first action that I can take today that moves me forward to where I want to be versus just ruminating or perseverating on something that's lasted for too long.
1: And oftentimes it's right in front of you. Oftentimes it's the Mm -hmm. basics, right? Like not always, but often it's like, it's the volume or it's like the sales foundation qualification, right? Or like, it's like, it's these things that we all know, but if you're really honest with yourself, right? Like sometimes you need to check back to reality of like, um, you know, and I see that a lot with struggling reps, managers, certainly I've done this myself, things aren't going well. I'm looking around to be like, what am I missing? What's the new play? What's the new strategy? What's the new flashy thing? And not, that's not to say anything negative against innovation, right. And creativity, like that's so important in moving this forward, but a really, really, really big part of sales is doing the same thing again and again and again, and getting it just like a little bit better at it every time. And I think like acknowledging that actually helps a lot in those moments of struggle.
0: It's funny, as you mentioned, that is I'm like, oh, wait, I just did that not that long ago. And I'm like, well, let me reach out to 10 different people and spend all this time. And like every one of them came back and they were like, not doing anything game changing right here. Yeah. focusing And on the fundamentals. And then once you get that, it's like, OK, now maybe a test. How do you somebody that, that's worked from this kind of learning development mindset, this enablement mindset? Um how do you help folks adopt a new thing or do something new as a sales leader or a sales uh, rep
1: hm I don't know let me know when you figure it out um, you know I I think it comes back to so I'm a this isn't I'm gonna like answer your question a little bit indirectly like I'm a big frameworks person like I think in frameworks I boil things down into frameworks and it's not like, any like big catchy, buzzy thing, but it's like, if I had to take this initiative, here are the three pillars that it is. And under each of those things, there's a couple of bullet points. But I, the reason I think that that's so important it's related to change management is that oftentimes like resistance to change comes from lack of understanding or from sometimes like overestimating the amount that is changing. And so I think that creating, you know, taking the change and creating clarity in what is changing and just as importantly, what isn't changing Um, is really important for people. And, And I try to communicate that very clearly through frameworks that are like bullet points that are digestible. And then I think in that, it's like helping people like I, I'm pretty real with my, with my leaders. Like I'll be on message, like I'm with the company's priorities, but like if I think something is like, you know, it's like so, so like, I'll let them know my own journey in it to be like, that's how I, I originally responded. Here's how I got where I am today. And I think that that's like, That's a version of disagree and commit, but I find that that's a more authentic one to say, like, here's the journey and how I actually got to the commit part, rather than just kind of like muscling your way through it. Because people see through that, right? And basically what I want to do, and I don't always succeed in this, but like, if there's resistance to change, I want to be part of the conversation. And rather than have the conversation happen around me, um, I at least want to be at the, the the conversation doesn't mean that we're always going to concede it doesn't mean that we're always going to change course but I want to know what's happening because, you know, sometimes in that you can, you can understand that like the, the group that you're being asked to change doesn't understand and that there's a there's a like communication and, you know, an an education um, part of it, but sometimes you're wrong, right? Sometimes you have missed something and something like, sometimes the feedback is legitimate, right? And like, if anyone's going to like find what's broken in the system that salespeople. And so like, I want to know what they think is broken. And is that true? And should we respond to it? So that's why I think it's so important to like, figure out how you feel about it, be part of the conversation, be authentic. And also like, if things are objectively crumbly, me like if a change is negatively like impacting someone i think it's okay to acknowledge that does it mean that we're going to dwell in it Right. But like, I'm not going to like immediately start going like, oh, no, Jordan, this is good. If like I just like kicked your puppy. Right. Like we have to like acknowledge that like there is something that I'm like being taken away or there is something that like is a loss for you. And then say like, OK, we sit there. huh? And now how are we going to move forward? Um, but I think, again, that's part of that, like servant leadership, authentic leadership and like helping people understand that, like you really you would you do listen to them. And at the end of the day, you do have their backs.
0: That's great. There, there's so much wonderful juice inside of that one. Because oh man, not all change is going to be perfect for every individual in an organization. And no. that's one, okay. And two, probably not everybody's decision or or where they can make it. And three, like this is a company. This is not. Uh, just individuals living in silos on their own, solving for themselves, even though salespeople might want to think that. Uh, like we, we have to work to, to better this company and there are folks looking at how they can do that strategically and things that, yeah, as an individual contributor, I may be upset about uh, or may make my life look harder. But usually there are these other bets that are playing out that say, hey, we're all trying to succeed together and there's yeah. goal alignment uh, associated with it. Um, <laughs>
1: term, uh, short-term play, right? And back to like aligning yourself with a company's priorities, it's like as leaders, sometimes we have to be okay that change can be uncomfortable. We have to like check, gut check, right? Does it still align with our values? Is it still aligned with like the overall arch? But sometimes the short-term is uncomfortable. Hopefully we all believe in the long-term, right? And in, I think in that your best comp plans are aligned to it in terms of like equity and sort like career progression and investments back and so it might not look show up in your in your commission paycheck you know this month but it will over over the long run you know in a more exaggerated sense
0: i i think there's uh, yeah i think if we can all have a little bit more of a infinite view on our careers how we operate it can help reduce some of the stress the burnout the all these things that we run into even though Yes, we do have a number we got to hit and we've got to hit it every single month, uh, day in, day out to get to the long term vision. Yep. A couple rapid fire questions for you as we wrap up here. What is you probably already said this, but what's your favorite quality and leaders that you've worked with that you look up to? Um,
1: hmm. I think that it's it's the human element, which I've touched on a lot. And it means, what I mean by that is like, just bringing your whole self to the role. Um, Like, just because when you have like a, a manager title, director title, whatever, like you don't just all of a sudden like become a different, like you're not all of a sudden like on a different planet, right? Like you have all the same, like, anxieties, insecurities, like wins, excitement, like the highs, the lows, like all of those things, like you're still participating in the human experience, like, you know, whether you want to admit it or not. And I think that people who show up in that sense and include other people in that sense is, to me is really inspiring. It's always made the job seem more accessible. It's It's always made me feel like I can be more of my authentic self. Um, And so I think people who like have that human touch on it and use that as a way to connect with people and and to inspire them have always been my favorite leaders.
0: Awesome. Last couple quick ones. Any advice to women? You talked about being a woman, some of the the challenges you run into. Any advice to women breaking into sales leadership?
1: Do it. Raise your hands. Truly like. I think you know. I talked a little bit about holding a mirror up and like seeing something in your, you know, in yourself, right? Like, I think raise your hand, ask people, put yourself out there, um, and and believe in yourself. Like, believe in your leadership platform. Believe that it has value, and, and and don't apologize for that. Um, I would love to see more, you know, like female aspiring leaders on my calendar. I would love to talk to them more about their goals because you don't, I think sometimes women in particular wait until, and there's, there's lots of stats and whatnot about this. Like they wait until they're like a hundred percent qualified or they wait till they're overqualified to raise their, their hand. And it's like, Okay, appreciate the humility there, but start the conversation sooner. I don't care if you're not ready today. I want to be part of the journey and helping you get there. Um, so just don't be afraid to get started, I, I think is my advice.
0: Do you like winning or dislike losing more?
1: Wow. Ooh, I love winning. Uh, I love winning. And here, I, I'll answer in kind of an inverted way because for me, like losing, or when I think about the losses I've had, the opportunities to learn, the opportunities to like galvanize and like come back swinging. And I think that winning, is a product of those lessons like and it's not even big losses it it can be micro losses but like winning and winning in a sustainable repeatable predictable way is a product of like reflection and commitment to the process and i don't think that you get there without some kind of loss or some kind of hardship but boy it feels good when it all comes together and you're on the top of the board
0: that's great and my last one since i just asked you my favorite interview question what's yours
1: Ooh, my favorite interview question. Um, I think if I had to generalize for all kinds of roles, it's what are you working on for your personal development? I love to hear about how people are committing to their learning. I love to hear about the depth that they're going, because you get, get, as you can imagine, like a pretty wide array of of answers. And then I love to see where that goes, because you can bet if I ask you that, I'm gonna ask you a couple follow-up questions about it. Um, So I always find there's interesting conversation to be had.
0: This is wonderful. I, I think that one is so powerful, especially for anybody listening to a podcast, maybe you've got a pretty easy answer. So Kelly, we'll definitely link off to your LinkedIn. Where can folks find you? Are you actively recruiting any folks for your team? Talk to us a little bit about uh, how folks can find you.
1: Yeah, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love that. Feel free to reach out. I try to respond to it as, as well as I can. Heck yeah, we're hiring. Like we're hiring sales reps, we're hiring sales managers now and in the future, a huge growth goals for next year. Um, I'm actively looking to, you know, improve the diversity of the teams that I manage, both at the individual and the manager level. Um, so really interested in hearing anyone who might be interested in coming to HubSpot, but also who's like thinking about leadership. Like if you can't tell, I'm kind of passionate about this and, and I love connecting uh, with people and just hearing about how they're thinking about their career growth.
0: Wonderful, Kelly. Well, thank you so much. And until next time, let's go make it a great day. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend and leave us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.